Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. It's another Hall of Fame episode where we count down 95 to 91 in the order. In the post-planning meetings from last week, we've decided we've got to give Bordy a little bit less grief about his selections and big up the 100 greatest cricketers in the world. So my sincere and heartfelt apologies to David <laughs> Warner. Um, but we are going to kick off after the swish with number 95. Stay tuned. Bordy, over to you for number 95 in the list. Who's what? five away from the ton? Welcome back, boys. Well, 95 this year, uh, this week is Kapil Dev, uh, India's great all-rounder. Of course, 131 test matches, 434 famous wickets at an average of 29.64, a batting average of 31.05, which of course gives him an all-rounder plus-minus of just about 1.41. But I guess most famous for breaking Sir Richard Hadley's world record of 431 test wickets and going to 434 before his retirement. Well, let's start the clock, Bordy, with six minutes to talk about Kapil Dev. Um, so you're giving him a little intro. We won't knock 30 seconds off uh, for that. We can extrapolate if we want to. Uh, but your six minutes on Kapil Dev starts now. Well, look, I think set, set against the backdrop of the 1980s, of course, uh, Americans and the Soviets battling it out in the Cold War. And there was a battle going on in cricket grounds all across the world between four great all-rounders, Imran Khan from Pakistan, of course, Kapil Dev from India, fierce rivals. And then, of course, you throw in uh, Sir Ian Botham, of course, from England and New Zealand's own Sir Richard Hadley. So pretty much wherever you went, there was one or two great all-time all-rounders on a cricket field battling it out. And really the comparison of these four pretty much sets the tone for, you know, comparisons around great all-rounders for all, for all time. So, you know, these guys are the guys that enter into that conversation and you throw in a couple of others on top of that. The analysis that I did for these guys was really to compare those four against what I called Joe Average or what, what was the average kind of performance of kind of number six, number seven batters uh, over that period of time and, of course, you know, sort of second, third change bowlers because that's really what you want from your all-rounder. You want a fifth bowling option potentially or better uh, and you want batting at five or six in the order. So uh, if we have a look on the website, thetoporderpodcast.com, there's a great comparison of the careers of all four of those great all-rounders against Joe Average and then a scoring system that kind of adds up all of those key stat components. Well, look, the, the thing, uh, you'll probably get into it, but the thing that surprised me, I guess, when I was thinking about Kapil Dev is, is I, in my head, had always had him up there with those guys and, and you know, you just put him in the, the likes of the Hadleys and, and both them and things. And I think people would be incredibly surprised to see those kind of caliber of players down here at 95. And I mean, I, I always kind of do a bit of research just to kind of get my own head around things by, I always search, you know, greatest Indian cricketers of all time or greatest West Indian, whoever we're kind of talking about to kind of calibrate where everyone is. And, mm. you know, when you do that for, for Kapil Dev, he's up there, just behind Session or, or just behind Session and, and Sonny Gavaskar. And, you know, I guess, why why is he this low on your rankings? Yeah, great question. I mean, for me, it was the comparison against those other three all-rounders. Like it or not, his career is being compared to Hadley and, and Imran Khan and Ian Botham. And if you have a look at the kind of overall performance of those four great cricketers, Kapil Dev, as good as he is, just isn't quite on that same level as, as, as any of those guys, except for maybe wickets taken. If you have a look at Hadley's bowling statistics he's by far and away probably the best cricketer of the lot as far as bowling is concerned if you have a look at uh, Imran Khan's batting average he averages 37 uh, Ian Botham's up there in the 30s as well so pretty much whichever way you kind of look at this comparison 
Capital Dev falls behind a little bit when you're comparing him to some of those greats. And that's not to disrespect Capital Dev at all. Tremendous cricketer, world record holder for the most wickets and a tremendous, tremendous uh, talisman for Indian fast bowlers to come. But he just doesn't quite match up pound for pound against those four of the greatest all-rounders of all time. He was also the, I read that he was the leading wicket taker in ODIs for six years as well. Oh, wow, really? His, um, his, his time there. So it's incredible. And I like how you mentioned that part around you know, the legacy he leaves is that he turned the new ball into a weapon for, for, for India. They, they didn't have that previously, you know, mm. and he, he shouldered an immense, immense workload as that workhorse with the new ball bowling fast for India. Yeah, we've talked about longevity, hasn't, haven't we, of one of these things, and I think 131 tests, and I know we don't go into it, but 275 first-class games as well, mm. um, a hell of a lot of runs. But yeah, I'd agree with Raj. For me, what I remember about him was... Um, these were the days I think or his, certainly his pomp was when India didn't really have that many seeming options and and he was the option he's the man yeah um, and, and had to do that so I, I always remember yeah him more as a bowler actually mm. um, as, uh, than as a batter yes some you know useful lower order or sort of middle, middle order, order runs, runs yep, was, was yep. what I would recall him for um, but yeah, to, I, I guess to Lippy's point, um, Indian um, Wisdom magazine, I think, named him as the cricketer of the century in 2002. So um, bearing in mind that's Indian cricketer of the century in 2002, yeah. and we've had the likes of Sachin that have come after that in terms of the majority of their career, but shows how highly regarded he is in Indian circles oh, as well. Massively highly regarded. I mean, he'd probably be on the Mount Rushmore of... Indian cricketers or at least would be definitely in the conversation so you know there'll be a lot of people who are upset looking at this and seeing Kapil Devon at 95 thinking he should be a lot higher but you know for me it's that comparison to those other three all great great all-rounders of, of his era and he doesn't quite tip the scales in that in that heavyweight battle I think one of the the really I mean one of the most exciting things about actually just doing this project has been uh, kind of just doing doing those YouTube deep dives and Going back in and, and looking at all the footage and th the five people we um, are doing today is it just been, it was an absolute treat watching all of them and Capital Dev. What kind of struck me about watching him was that it, you you kind of mentioned it that it, when you watch him bowl, I mean, and granted it was later footage and not not the early stuff because I'm, I'm as far as I understand I didn't see it obviously, but you know in his early days he was a very quick bowler out and out fast. Yeah, back back in the the footage that I was watching. He, he didn't look anything special, you know, when you sometimes when you watch a bo fast bowler and they run in and they just look amazing. You're like, I can't believe that anyone can face this. But Capel didn't look like that, but he looked like he had an, an aura or he, he was a, a big guy mm. and he looked like he just knew what he was doing and just that people around him, you know, he, he carried them to the 1983 World Cup. He just like looked like he had that something special, and I and I guess that's something that your stats will never be able to replicate. But no, you got to watch him. Yeah, but I feel yeah, like he he, he had, had that, something he, special about he him. He had presence, and he kind of had an aura about him, didn't he? Absolutely. Well, we're just about up for time on Capul um, Dev. You're going to hear my timer go off very shortly, unless I hit pause. Um, which I'm going to do. Who's number 94, Baldy? 94, we've gone from uh, Indian all-rounders to English wicketkeepers, so this one's to make uh, Binksy happy. Maybe not where we've got him in the order, but number 94, the English wicketkeeper, uh, Alan Knott. Of course, again, a world record holder, most dismissals for a wicketkeeper at 219 at some stage uh, in his career. Uh, but have a looking at his his record: ninety five Test matches, uh, four thousand eight hundred and thirty nine runs. At a pretty healthy average for a keeper at that era, thirty two and change. Five centuries, thirty fifties. So you know he's he's able to score runs as well as take wickets. But for me, 
I've got a lot of wicket keepers in my family. My grandfather was a wicket keeper. My brother's a wicket keeper. Um, so wicket keeping runs in my family. Not that I ever inherited either the um, inclination or, or the skill to, to keep wicket, but whenever they talk about wicket keepers and where my brother talks about wicket keepers, anyone I know that talks about wicket keepers talks about Alan Knott as one of the kind of Rushmore level pure wicket keepers in terms of skill, uh, in terms of technique and, and just that um, that sort of artisanship, that craftsmanship that may have gone by the wayside in terms of recent years where batters become more important than wicket keeping as a skill and you, you're more of a batter and maybe a batter who owns gloves to be unkind rather than a wicketkeeper first uh, who occasionally would score runs. But in the era that Alan Knott played, and if we have a look at his career, he was kind of 1967 to 1981, that kind of post-war helmet era. Um, it was all about the wicketkeeping, and he had a very difficult job standing up to guys like Derek Underwood, Jim Laker uh, for a little bit, I think, Tony Locke, those kind of guys. Um, incredibly tidy behind the stumps, quick as a flash. And, you know, you have to really watch these wicketkeepers to be able to understand and appreciate the level of craftsmanship that they had in, those, in, in that era. Yeah, look, certainly growing up in the UK as a keeper, you know, I picked up the gloves when I was uh, 10 or 11 years old. So, you know, that would have been um, probably around about 1990 or thereabouts. And um, so not was a little bit before my time, but certainly um, saw him on all those sort of highlights reels. And, and to Lippy's point, going and actually watching YouTube, he's got a hell of a highlights reel. Um, Unreal. For, for me, he's, he's, he's not the best keeper to have walked the earth, and I'm sure we'll come on to that um, a little bit later um, down the list. But I think as an English keeper, um, he would be the out-and-out pure gloveman mm -hmm. um, of not only his generation, but the generations that have come as well. The thing that I was saying to Raj on the way up here, actually, for, for me, you, you look at some of the keepers that have, um, I think, epitomised the way that the game has evolved, and I'm, I'm thinking of like an Ian Healy, glove the ball tremendously well, primarily on good wickets. Mm. Yes, the odd um, subcontinent pitch that's turning a hell of a lot on day four or five or the SCG on day five where he's got a glove Shane Warne and maybe a bit of Michael Bevan who was... A bit you of know, Tim May, something yeah. like that. Um, but for me, not again with Underwood on some of those sticky wickets where the guy's bowling almost sort of 65, 70 miles an hour and really ragging it. Mm. Um that's a joy to watch as a, as a keeper. Um, and the style as well, you know, the floppy hat, the red gloves, um, it's sort of iconic for, uh, yeah, for a, for a generation. Very much so. Yeah, for me, watching those, you know, that, those highlight reels, it's the first I've really seen of him, him wicketkeeping. The first thing that struck me was, was just how incredible he was with the gloves. It reminded me of a younger version of myself, actually. <laughs> but um, for me, it demonstrated that the skill of wicketkeeping just has, has really diminished as we've gone through and fallen more into that batting wicketkeeper sort of role. Uh, I was incredible. I was really, really, really impressed by his wicketkeeping uh, and also his longevity. So I think I also read a stat that out of the 93 tests just prior to that Packer era, um, that breakup, he played 89 of those tests for England. So he had that longevity as well. Um, and yeah, like you said, the red gloves, I can imagine that's almost like a safety blanket to any <laughs> English bowler coming down. Absolutely. And, and batting-wise, he wasn't too shabby. If you look at that generation, um, and again, um, averaged more in test cricket than he did in first-class cricket with, mm. with the bat, which I always think is a little bit of a yardstick of someone that um, you know really ups their game on the on the biggest stage. But that those aren't bad stats. Um, they are when you compare them against a Sangakara or a McCullum or a 
Gilchrist and you know some of the guys that I'm sure will come onto on this list but in that era averaging over 30 as a keeper and being able to bat seven and score hundreds and score hundreds big, that that was a big deal in yeah, those days huge deal and hit one of his contemporaries Bob Taylor famously pretty good keeper some would argue a better keeper than not I, I wouldn't agree with that premise but he batted number 11 mm. so you know the fact that he was able to do that and bat at seven as well has got to uh, got to go on the record I think well and you guys have talked about artistry and, and quality and things like that of, of wicket keeping and I mean has a spinner it makes such a significant difference and and you know we you see and and i'm sure we've all watched the same highlights footage of not his gloves glove work was so quick and i mean you know it's the different we talk about it a lot it's the difference between you know someone getting out early on in their innings or someone sticking around and and making a big score and, Mm. and changing a game a wicket can change a game so it's just hugely hugely valuable skill and we talk about DRS for spinners now, um, giving them a lot more LBWs. Just imagine if not would have had um, third umpire, um, he'd have a hell of a lot more than 19 test stumpings, I'd, uh, I'd fathom as well. That was mm. the interesting statistic for me when I had a look at his career. The guys he kept to, I would have thought that his stumpings would be up in the kind of Godfrey Evans type, you know, Burt Oldfield 52 test stumpings. You know, 19 I think he has in his career, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. 19, yeah. Not that many for an, for a bowler who kept a lot to Underwood and to and to Laker and Lock and stuff. So I was really surprised by that. But I think you know he took so many catches off big deflections. Yeah. Um, that you know the batsmen were kind of rooted in the crease because they were worried about those kind of things, not moving their feet, not giving the opportunity uh, to to be stumped. So you know you've the thing with wicket keeping, and it's so hard to analyze it statistically. How much do they benefit from having a great bowling attack? You know, MS mm-hmm. Dhoni's not going to have many test stumpings. Uh, sorry, he's going to have more test stumpings. Sorry, because he kept to a lot of spinners. Whereas a guy like uh, Brad Haddon or Ian Healy, he's kept keeping to a lot to fast bowlers. So you know you've got to have some kind of perspective. And I think the hardest thing for wicket keepers is you got to look at them and see them. And, you know, the reason that there aren't going to be many old-school wicketkeepers on the list is there just isn't any footage of them. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, that's a nice place to end our chat around Alan Knott. Uh, we come on to the year of the great Shane Warne's ball of the century, 93 on our list. Um, who have we got at 93, Baldy? Well, this is this is one of my one of my favourites. This is the one I really enjoyed writing up uh, as we sort of started to get into the meat and potatoes of this list. Andy Roberts from the West Indies, uh, sort of nineteen seventy four to nineteen eighty three. So only a nine year career for Andy Roberts, but most of that was peak Andy Roberts in an era where West Indies started to really realise that and and take a, a a real dominant position in world cricket. And the photo that I picked for uh, Andy Roberts' bio. Uh, is Andy Roberts, Colin Croft, Michael Holding and Joel Garner all at the very beginning of their careers standing on a cricket oval looking sort of very humble and very composed but these guys struck fear into the hearts of batsmen in that pre-helmet into the new kind of helmet era even though they had crash helmets no one was really safe when when you were facing guys like Andy Roberts and it wasn't just one of them, it was four of them Uh, so you know you saw off maybe Holding and Garner, and then all of a sudden Andy Roberts and Colin Croft are coming in at you and bowling sort of 90 miles an hour. You know, over a 47-test career, uh, he took 202 wickets, an average of 25.61, strike rate of 55, uh, two tenfers and 11 fivefers. And we'll get into the tenfers and fivefers because as part of a tremendously successful, massively successful bowling attack, uh, those wickets get shared around and there's not a lot of opportunity for guys like Andy Roberts, guys like Colin Croft to take big bags of wickets. 
Look, the the thing that struck me, we, um, you know, when, again looking at the, at the footage and, and even just thinking. I mean, as soon as Andy Roberts came up uh, on that list, I was just thinking of Fire in Babylon and what a great movie, you know, that is, and mm. what a great doco. And I mean, you know, if you're a cricket fan and, and you haven't watched that, I mean, you need to need to get on and do that immediately. But like. Yeah, just the speed, and and you mentioned it before. No helmets. I mean, just terrifying stuff. And and when you look at Roberts, there's there's footage of him, you know, doing some serious damage to to some good players. So yeah, I just I, I can't imagine how frightening it would be to turn up to the ground and see those four bowlers. And and you know, you you mentioned there, and you're not even talking about Malcolm Marshall, who who came, you know, overlapped some of their careers as well. It's just Absolutely. scary stuff. Yeah, for me, I'm one of those people who hasn't seen um, Fire in Babylon and I saw a lot of those clips uh, when I was doing a little bit of research and it made me really, really jealous and I wanted to have a have a little squiz at that, that doco. Um, what really struck me though when I was looking at the, the highlights reel for Andy Roberts was just the number of quality batsmen that were backing away mm. and trying to swipe at the ball. Mm. Um, and, and that just comes down to them just being him being the hitman. He was physically intimidating. That's a, he did, really was. Did you see, um, there's a clip on there, an awesome sound bite where he talking about being called the hitman. Did you see that one? He goes, I, I hate being called the hitman. I never went out there to try and hit people. It just so happened that people got hit. Yeah. Like, that's the best <laughs> sound bite ever. Mm. Uh, yeah, great bowler. Yeah, for, for me, the thing that, that stands out, and, and look, I, I guess it's that really difficult one of such a short test career by the standards of some of the people that we're going to, going to talk about and i think also the fact that he's in that quartet you know Mm. very 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 difficult when you've got those wickets shared around you you mentioned croft and garner and marshall um, and michael holding as well the the thing that stands out for me and there's lots of stories of county professionals um, who played against him when he was at uh, hampshire and then i think leicestershire later in his career and you know you can't bowl quick when you're playing a county season you're playing you know 18 first class games um in a season but apparently his captain's got the best out of him by just winding him up a little bit and saying oh this guy's just said you're bowling rats pace Andy." and then the next one would pin the keeper to the sight screen um and 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 apparently would send you know opposition dressing rooms you know 12th as he's going down to the sports shop to try and find arm guards and chest pads and, and all kinds of stuff so he was apparently the quickest of those uh, those guys. If you listen to any of the, guy, the yep. guys that were around, Jeffrey Boycott, I think, talks about the he fact does, that yeah. Roberts was the one that was genuinely scary, frightening. Yep, he yeah. was scary. The, the The apocryphal tales of Andy Roberts are plentiful, and all of them are consistent in that he wasn't trying to scare you, but he scared you mm-hmm. just because he was always always at you and his accuracy and control at that pace is just incredible i just before we finish up i just want to run through a couple of peak seasons for andy roberts india in india five matches 32 wickets at 18 at a strike rate of 39 on indian pitches in the 1970s uh, england in england five matches 28 wickets at 19 and a strike rate of 47 and then uh, india in the west indies in 82 83 five matches 24 wickets at an average of 22 so even in that exalted company he was able to put on just incredible performances and take big bags of wickets when he was on song Lippy, I'm going to go to, to you because I'm, I'm sort of um, eavesdropping, if that's the right word, on your on your notes. Um, but 
I think that, you know, there's going to be some seamers that miss out. Mm. If for you, is his record good enough to put him ahead of some of the... Let's not go into who miss, misses out later on the list, but is he good enough for you on that basis? I, I think that the stats that Bully brought up there, and, and I'm I'm big on strike rate, and strike rate's kind of a big one for me, and Robert's, Robert stacks up there, and, and average is very low as well. And I, I think we're, you know, you really... It's, it's just so hard. There's so many good bowlers that you're, you're comparing them against. But but I think he is. And, and what, again, it's it's sort of down to those one percenters that we we can't match by the stats. But when you think about, uh, when, you, when you hear those stories, all those stories about Andy Roberts, you hear how he was kind of the leader of that attack as well, that mm. he was the one that really taught a lot of the others. Michael Holding taught about, talked about how much he taught him and, and how smart he was as a bowler. You know, we've all talked about how terrifying he was, but he was also such a smart bowler mm. and that he would, you know, even you mentioned the pace, that he would set people up by bowling a slow bouncer and then just run in and absolutely knock their head off and, and suddenly they'd be hit, they'd be on the ground or or they'd be out or, it, you know, and it, it's it's those things that you just can't really match with stats and, and I, I I feel like he's definitely one of, one of the... the the scariest bowlers around and, and one of the better bowlers that Test Cricket's ever seen. The difference maker for me with Andy Roberts as compared to some of those other guys is he impacted winning. Mm, he he yeah. really impacted winning and you've got to give credit to those four or five fast bowlers from the West Indies in that period of time who dominated world cricket. You know, there are other guys who have bowled fast but haven't impacted winning. Um, even though they might have good averages and strike rates, but this guy was the genesis of that first of that bowling attack. He was there first. He taught the other guys incredible cricketer. Baldy, we, we come on to number 92 on the list. I, I wonder how you're going to actually introduce this guy because it's going to be a difficult job to get this into a 30-second soundbite. Leadership. For me, this guy is, if not the best leader I've ever seen on a cricket field, he's up there in the top two. MS Dhoni from India, uh, born 1981, so he's only a couple of years older than us, actually, which makes it uh, a little bit disconcerting for me. But uh, right-hand lower yeah, order he's better. Young, younger than me. He's younger than you, <laughs> is he? Okay, fair enough. Uh, for test career from 2004 to 2019. Um, I've still got time, Baldy. Still time, mate. Still time. Uh, you know, there have been wicketkeepers playing test cricket at 40, I'm sure. Uh, 90 test matches for MS Dhoni, 4,876 runs, more than, more than I thought he had actually, at an average of um, average of 38.09, 633.50s. Um, and how many catches does he have there? 256 catches, 38 stumpings uh, for MS Dhoni. All the stats, all the batting accolades, for me, this is all about leadership. And it's all about... MS Dhoni being the genesis of Indian players having the belief that they can win matches overseas and win test series overseas, not just when conditions favour them and when, and when they're you know, going well, but when their backs are against the wall and things are against them, this guy, more than just about any other cricketer I have seen or read about, instills a belief and a trust in his players that he knows what they can do and he believes in them. So we can let's I mean let's talk about his career as a test cricketer but to me it, it's all about the leadership. So for me I'm looking at what we're doing here with the with the Hall of Fame and we have got to base our our decisions around something, mm-hmm. right? And we're looking heavily at the numbers but I think when you look at someone like Emma Stoney numbers aren't don't matter when it comes to his legacy. 
All right, the fact that he was able to galvanise that Indian team when no one else could, no one since Saurav Ganguly, even much better than he was able to do it. Mm. You had all those guys go through captaincy and, and just struggle and fail at it. Mm. He brought all those egos together and got them got the best out of each and every one of them. Mm. If you look at his numbers on their own, he doesn't stack up. He's in a, he's probably in the right place where he needs to be. But once you start giving him runs for other people in his team, wickets for other people in his team, he really starts to stack up. And he, he's been a mess. He, he's right at the top of that Rushmore and that Rushmore conversation when we're talking about Indian cricket. And it, Yeah, I mean, carrying on from that, I mean, even just when we talked to Mike Hussey and we asked him uh, about him Estonian, just the, almost the understated way that he gave people confidence that he would just say, look, I believe in you. You know, go out there and do it because I believe in you and I trust that you can do it. And and it, it's actually amazing when you do have someone, I'm sure, you know, when you have someone like that in your life, in any form of a part of your life that just goes, okay, I know that you can do it and believes you. And that that, that rises you up and, and it makes a huge difference. And yeah, we're never going to be able to, to say that with the stats, but yeah, amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah, look, I just echo a lot of that. I think if you spoke to Virat Kohli, he'd probably say how much of a legacy he's had on the Indian side now that is um, almost at the top of the Test cricket um, tree. Obviously not um, when you look at where the mace is residing at the moment. Um, for me, the other thing is really underrated as a wicketkeeper as well. When you just, again, it's that eye test thing. If, you, if we were explaining this to a Martian who'd landed and we said, right, we're going to do the 100 greatest cricketers, here's the stats of the guy that's at number 92, they'd be like, hold on a sec, you, you've just explained this to me and that does not make a lot of sense. Mm. But when you add on that eye test and those, you know, those things around leadership and then from a keeping perspective, he looks like he's honestly just rocked up, put the gloves <laughs> on, gone out and, some, and said, I'll have a go. But when you actually look at how effective he is as a keeper, how his technique has actually changed the way that a lot of keepers will keep now. And there used to be that thing of, you know, give with the ball. He barely gives with the ball so that he can get those bails off um, so quickly, which probably um, talks a lot to his 123 stumpings in, in one day international cricket. But yeah, absolute legend. I also did want to pick up on the point you made, um, Baldy, there around the paradigm shift to India needing to win outside of India. Uh, you know, there was a real catalyst there around the South Africa-India series in 14-15 where it was just horrible, horrible batting conditions. Decision was made, if we're going to win around the world, if we're going to be the best test team in the world, we need to start paying in, in conditions that we're going to find around the world. Uh, things have changed a lot over the last five or six years up until the last series that we saw in uh, in India when Dhoni's no longer involved there. So, um, look, I, I think that, that big ups to him there around building a well-rounded team. How good is T20 average as well? Mm. Jesus. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of, you know, when I think of him Estonia, I just think of white ball stuff. That That's what, I guess, when you go and then, yeah, I, I was just thinking, I, I, I'm i always going to remember him for his white, uh, for his white ball career, I think, but but he certainly deserves his place in this test hall of fame. And, and maybe that's not what, that's why he, you know, you've got him at this level. I think if you were looking at his overall career and, and adding the, the ODI stuff and, and the T20 stuff, obviously, then I feel like, you know, he would be much, much higher on this list. And it's an understatement to have him in the big bat era, Baldy. I'll tell you what, <laughs> there ain't too many bigger bats than him, is there? <laughs> no, absolutely not. I mean, to me, as, as much as wicketkeepers transcend numbers, this guy transcends all all statistics and in terms of his value to a cricket team. And what price do you put on that? What value do you put on that? It's very, very difficult. But I'm so happy that he's in the top 100 as a test player, even if his test record, on on the face of it, 
isn't all that spectacular. But you have to remember, as a leader, top 10 in terms of test wins of all time, top 10 in terms of winning percentage as a captain of all time. So not only did he impact belief in generations to come, but he had a direct impact as a leader on the cricket field for India. And, you know, I, I guess we've been downplaying his, you know, actual ability, but his actual ability was still pretty, really incredible, pretty, yeah. pretty good. You know, and even picking up on that captaincy stuff, his stats are better when he was captain. You yeah. know, he averaged 40 with the bat as captain. He, you know, he, it was just, that was the kind of thing that he did. He rose to those occasions. And, you know, I know we're not in the white ball stuff, but you mentioned it before about that belief in winning from no matter what position. And, and that's always what you've felt from MS Dhoni, that any time, any sort of situation, you can win the game. And, I mean, how good was it to, to look back at some of those clips and see him with long hair? <laughs> I don't remember him. I don't remember him at all with long hair. But yeah, it was it was pretty good early in his career. He had a, a pretty good moule. Well, you have to look a lot further back on the footage to find a couple of us with long hair. That's for sure. Um, we stay in India for number ninety-one um, on the list. Baldy, over to you. Who's uh, yeah? Who's following his uh, his former skipper? Yeah, bit of a controversial one. This one to have VVS Laxman ahead of MS Dhoni on the on the Hall of Fame, but but I just have to point to eight thousand seven hundred and eighty-one runs over a hundred and thirty-four Test career at an average of forty-five point nine seven, and a higher score, of course, in Test cricket of two hundred and eighty-one, and we'll get to that. Uh, Seventeen Test hundreds and fifty-six Test fifties. So not a great conversion rate, but plenty of times uh, VVS Laxman got to fifty for India, and of course a couple of wickets there in Test cricket. But for me. VVS Laxman, three peak series, Australia and India, Australia and Australia, Australia and India. 2000, 2001, 2003, 2004, 2008, 2009, cometh the big series against the big opposition. VVS Laxman stood up 503 runs in 2000 and an average of 83 with a highest score of 281. 2003-04 in Australia, Conditions not suited particularly to Indian batsmen of that era. 494 runs in just the four tests at average of 82. And then in 2008-9, 381 runs at 92.95. 200 not out his best score in that series. So, look, when this guy plays against Australia, he just goes to another level. And I'm sure Australian captains have nightmares of, of Vivius Lakshman. And obviously his, his sparring partner there, Rahul Dravid, on that image. But, you know, for me... This guy, along with Tendulkar, growing up was my favourite Indian player to watch because his his wrist work, his ability to manoeuvre the ball into whatever area of the field he liked, pre-T20. So, you know, this is 2000, 2003, before the advent of T20 cricket and the ability for batsmen to hit to all 360 parts of the ground. He could just work the ball into any area he wanted. Um, and his, his control of his wrists was just incredible. And, and I think... That was the defining kind of image for me of VVS Laxman. Of course, uh, the 2001 game uh, where he and uh, Laxman batted for, uh, so he and Dravid batted for the day and um, won India the Test match following on. Just an incredible moment and probably the, the biggest batting comeback, I think, um, arguably in the history of Test cricket from the position that they were in following on. 1981 notwithstanding, Bixie. Yeah, yeah. I, I When I looked at this uh, VVS Laxman, I was thinking, yeah, I feel like that's, Probably about right. This is where I feel like he belongs. I don't. I don't. Aside from that big, you know, two hundred eighty-one. I don't. I don't really, you know, associate him with massive game-turning innings. Um, but that that two eighty-one, that that whole test was so massive for Indian cricket. They've built a lot of their teams based on the folklore that came out of that 
that that series. And um, I guess one of the biggest legacies that he leaves is that how hard has it been to actually find a number five batsman cemented at that position since he left uh, until we've got Rahani here now. But, um, yeah, I, I I think, I as I said, I think that he... He fits where you've put him. He he gets kind of overshadowed by the by the Savags, the Tendulkas, the Dravids of the time as well. Yeah, unbelievable batting lineup that they had. When you you know when you go back and and look at that lineup of yeah Savag, Dravid, Ganguly, Tendulkar, Lakshman, yeah, absolutely unbelievable. But again, I kind of like you, Raj, thought okay, he's kind of number five or or of those kind of players. But then, you know, when you actually look at his numbers, I, I went back and looked and, and kind of, you know, you can go and look at the, the year breakdowns. And I, I just sort of looked in the first two or three, it was a, struggling a little bit. And then you just saw the string of 50, 80, 70, 60. And I hit, pumped it in 2000 to 2010 for that whole decade. He played 103 matches, scored 7,230 runs at an average of 51.6. And you're only talking about the first couple of years of his career that you miss and the last couple of years of his career. So his you know, his actual peak performance lasted for ten years and averaged over fifty. And that's mm. you know, if if his final average was fifty, we'd be talking about him much higher in this list and, and that's what India got for a whole decade. So it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, I'm probably gonna take slightly the counterpoint um to, to this. Um for me he's the forgotten guy out of those batters that we've just talked about, Saywag and Tendulka and Dravid and, and Ganguly maybe. And and I was thinking about why that might be. And I certainly recall the 281. Um, there isn't anyone who's sort of going to forget about that. And Baldy, I'm sure you're going to come on to that in a bit of detail. For me, then we never scored 100 against England. So I don't actually remember him as someone that I... Um, feared. I certainly feared Saywag, um, and I'm sure there's England bowlers who have nightmares about him. Um, and, and obviously Tendulkar and Dravid for slightly different um, reasons. But yeah, I don't actually remember that much about him. And he's right in my wheelhouse of when I was watching um, Test cricket as someone with you know a little bit more knowledge than a kid um, and a little bit more interest um, as well. And I, I just don't re- don't remember him. Interesting though, because I I remember him so vividly because of all of these peak performances against against Australia, against Australia right? And for me, like I was looking at his career and I looked at his peak because I was like, oh, seventeen hundreds. That's not that like fantastic. And War's mm-hmm. got more. You know, it's about the same as how many's Crow got? Crow got seventeen. Yeah, some, got something like, something like that. And, so and he's not on the list. And, he, and, and Crow's and Crow's <laughs> he's not on the not list. On this right? list for some strange reason. <laughs> About and about the similar average to Crow, right? What was Crow's average around 46, 40, 45, 45, 46? Yeah. Yeah. So I was looking at it and I'm like, oh, I'm looking at it. helmet hair. It's, it's, it's tough. Like some of, these, some of these numbers are tough to justify. But then I went and had a look at his peak series and I went, wow, against like the, some of the best mm. sides in the history of world cricket. And this guy's averaging 80 in a series against, against McGrath, against Warren, against Gillespie in Australian conditions. I'm like... That's that's got to be worth something to me. Those those series against Australia, particularly the one in Australia, stand out for me. Whereas he didn't perform well against England, and that's why he doesn't stand out for you. Yeah, and I think I mean I think picking up on that point and, and probably what brings him down slightly is is yeah when you look at the home away kind of you know that's another sort of marker that I always use to kind of check players and and he does average a lot more at home. It's fifty one at home and and forty two away. And you know we we've talked about. His, his wrist work and stuff and what a good player he was against spin and you know maybe you can see that in those numbers and, and maybe that's why perhaps he didn't score the runs you don't in remember him scoring those yeah. runs in England and yeah perhaps that's why he's not higher up this list but yeah quality cricketer 
Well, boys, another enjoyable discussion. Five players more down um, on our list as we count down um, towards um, number one, which will, of course, be on our New Year's Day episode, I'm sure, or something <laughs> like that. We've got uh, a long way to go before then. Um, but look, guys, thanks very much for joining us on the Top Order Podcast Hall of Fame. We will be back uh, with This Week in Cricket in your newsfeed at some point in the very, very near future. We've got news, views and interviews coming up um, as well. And we'll also be back with the next instalment of the 100 Greatest Cricketers next week. Um, but for now, it's good night and God bless from us all here at the Top Order Podcast. Good night. See ya. <laughs>